church, we do serve a God who wipes sorrow's tears away. And we gather week after week to know Him more, certainly to worship Him and to invite Him to speak to us uh, through His Word. And so today we come to the book of Genesis. The first book of the Bible will be in Genesis chapter two, this chapter 22 this morning. Uh, as we continue a message series that we began last week, uh, titled He Is Knowing God by Name. So over the next several weeks, uh, as announced last week, we'll begin uh, looking at names and titles of God and various stories from the scripture that reveal uh, attributes of God, reveal portions of who He is, reveal His character to us that we might know Him more, that we might better know how to serve Him, to worship Him, uh, to live for Him. Him. And I would encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to go back and read that text from Exodus chapter 3. That's a familiar text, but the text where God speaks to Moses through the burning bush. In fact, I'd encourage you, uh, and we don't say this very often, but maybe go back and listen to uh, last week's sermon, the podcast, simply because that text is so foundational for our understanding of this God, where He makes Himself known, where He reveals who He is. And he continues to do so through his word. And so we look at various stories where God does this. But before we look at our text this morning, I want to begin with a question, and that is this. Uh, Have you ever waited for something for a long time? Ever had to wait for something? And I don't mean like the next iPhone to come out. I mean something significant. Uh, Perhaps to hear back uh, from a recent job interview, news that feels long overdue. Maybe for a bone to heal, so you can finally get that itchy cast off. Maybe for the completion of uh, cancer treatments. Maybe for a rebellious child to return home. Maybe for a child of your own. You know, waiting is tough. Most of us are not very good at it. We're not alone. Abraham, our spiritual father in the faith, also had to wait, and he had to wait a long time. Remember that God made Abraham a great promise recorded in Genesis chapter 12. He promised to bless him and to use him and to multiply his family so that through his descendants, through his offspring, all the peoples or all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And for 25 years, a quarter of a century, Abraham waited and waited and waited for this promised child to be born. For without a son, God's promised plan would be impossible. And finally, you likely know the story recorded in Genesis chapter 21. Well beyond childbearing years, Abraham's wife Sarah conceives. A miracle happens, and Isaac is born. But the Lord prolonged this in this particular case to give ample opportunity for this important man in our faith, this important family in our faith to trust in him. And in order to reveal that it would only be by God's power that his promises, that his plans would be accomplished. But right on the heels of that story, Genesis chapter 21, comes Genesis chapter 22. And the unthinkable happens. God makes an outrageous demand. We're going to look at it this morning, the text that you're likely familiar with, a story that if you've spent any time in church, you no doubt have heard. 
Let's look at it anew. Let's look at it afresh. Let's invite God to speak to us through it. So let's stand uh, out of reverence for the one whose word it is that we are reading. Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. Let's hear from the Lord. The Bible says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we trust you that your word is good. We turn to you because we want to know you more. Father, we acknowledge today as people of faith that you are the one who provides Father, help us to know you more, help us to understand you more, help us to experience you more and to worship you more as a result of our time in your word. Lord, guide us now by the presence and power of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, you can be seated. As I said moments ago, this is one of those uh, stories that you have probably heard before. If you grew up in church at all, and perhaps even if you didn't, you're familiar with this story. But that familiarity poses a risk to us. For the story loses its shock factor. Church, this story is absolutely shocking. Abraham, take your son. The one you waited on for 25 years. The one I promised to you and sacrifice him me. Of course, the narrator tells us in verse 1 that this was a test. So as readers, we can breathe easy as we read it. Abraham wasn't privy to such information. 
The command was sudden and surprising. A call to do something he never would have imagined. And as if to emphasize the extraordinary difficulty involved in obeying such a request, God says, verse 2, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. You know, we're able to look back with some clarity on this episode and with the assurance that unlike some of the pagan gods in the ancient world, we now know that that God despises child sacrifice. He values human life, but He still tests our faith. God tests our faith by our willingness to sacrifice whatever is dearest to us. God is a God who tests the faith. He examines the faith of His people by our willingness to sacrifice whatever is dearest to us. You see, as His only son whom He loved, Isaac was nearest and dearest to Abraham. Isaac was his greatest treasure, with the exception of one greater treasure, and that is his relationship with his Lord. Our faith in God is is measured, is proved by our willingness to lay whatever else aside, even those things dearest to us, as we practice faith in God. Isn't this what Jesus means when he says in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, if anyone comes after me, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own lives, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. The point that Jesus makes is that comparatively speaking, Allegiance to and love for Him must take precedence over everything else in your life. When you become a follower of Jesus, you give Him your all and everything else falls in line behind Him. And would a God really be God if He demanded anything less from us? You see, if the God of the Bible is indeed the one true God that the Bible declares Him to be, then He is worthy of everything. Friends, He is worthy of everything. He's worthy of our all. The God who just wants us to trust Him, even when it means giving up the things that we are so often inclined to put before Him. He calls us to practice our faith by trusting and obeying Him. Believers trust and obey God. They trust and obey God. Incredibly, Abraham set out, verse 3, in obedience early the next morning. Early the next morning. No hesitation. He makes plans. He gathers materials. And he goes according to the word of the Lord. Abraham knew two things that did not fit together at all. Two things that contradicted each other. God was planning the future around his son Isaac, and yet this same God now called him to sacrifice his son Isaac. The narrator doesn't give us Abraham's feelings here. We're just told that there was instant obedience. Friends, we can only imagine what he must have been feeling, and the story is put together in such a way that it encourages us, I think, to imagine what he must have been feeling. Painstaking detail. We read about how he loaded his donkey. 
Read about how he called Isaac and his two servants, how he cut enough wood for the offering, how he gathered his materials and set out on this three-day journey to Moriah. And when they finally arrived at the place of sacrifice, verse 5, Abraham said to his servants, stay here. Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. The story continues. Verse 7, Isaac speaks up and he says to his father, Father, the, the fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where's the animal? Where's the animal that we have come here to sacrifice? Abraham responds, verse 8, he says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. It makes us wonder as we read this story, did Abraham know something more? Did, did he know more than the text seems to imply that he did? Did he know how this was going to play out? And no, he didn't. He didn't know. If he did, the test would cease to be a test. He simply trusted and obeyed. He had faith. New Testament author of Hebrews gives us a window, though, into his mind and perhaps how he was trying to rationalize the tension that he was feeling, the conflict that he was having between obedience to God and, and what God had promised that he would do. We read about that in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, or figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. You know, that phrase speaks volumes, I think, in that text. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. In other words, Abraham was certain of two things. He was certain that God promised that Isaac would be the son through whom the nations would be blessed, Genesis chapter 17, and he knew that God had now instructed him to kill Isaac, who still had no children, who had no wife. How would God's promises be fulfilled? He didn't know. He didn't know, except that he knew that his God would make a way, even if it meant raising Isaac from the dead. He loved God enough to trust him, even when it didn't make sense. Do you love God enough to trust Him? And so you love God enough to, to trust Him. When God says, put me even before your family, do you trust Him? When God says, give, give your money generously and sacrificially to the ministry of the church and the relief of the poor, do you trust that He will provide for your needs? And the Lord says, don't stop gathering as my people regularly to worship me. Do you love and trust him enough to limit commitments that will continuously interfere with church attendance? When the Lord says, love, provide, and care for vulnerable children in your community, do we trust him enough? Do we trust him enough to consider things like foster care and adoption and child sponsorship? The Lord says, go and make disciples. Go and tell others about Jesus. Go and make other followers of Jesus. When the Lord says this, do we trust His Spirit to give us the words to say to that lost co-worker? That unbelieving neighbor. We trust Him to provide the strength and the resources to go and to serve Him on a mission team. When the Lord says, confess your sins one to another, do we trust God and love Him enough to get vulnerable with our brothers and sisters in the faith? You see, if you know and you love God, the only God, 
God who's made himself known to us, the God who invites us to know him. If you know and you love him, you'll trust him even when the, lo- the road looks crooked and the call looks irrational and faith looks foolish as it did for Abraham. And you trust him. Not simply because you dare to do something risky, but because you know who he is. Because of who he is. You see, God is the faithful one who continually provides for his people. All good things that we have and enjoy ultimately come from the Lord. But this text, this story isn't so much about God's generic provision. I think that's hinted out here, but it's about the greatest provision. God's provision that allows us to approach him and worship so that we might know and enjoy him. Believers enjoy God's provision for worship. Believers, meaning people of faith in the God of the Scriptures, those who know and follow Jesus Christ, they they enjoy God's provision for worship. In the Bible, a burnt offering, which that comes up in this story, a burnt offering was a sacrifice to God that atoned for, for sins. In other words, because of who God is, because He's just and He's eternal and He's perfect and He's sinless, and he's holy. Sin against him must be paid for. It must be accounted for in order to mend that broken relationship that our sin causes between us and a holy and perfect and righteous God. If you've been in church at all, if you know the story of the Scriptures at all, if you know the story of Christ at all, then you know that. You've heard that. You've heard that time and time again. It's evident throughout the Scriptures. But even so, I think there's something in our fallen nature that bucks up against that. So wait a minute. I think for many of us, we sort of want to bargain with God. God, is this really a big deal? You really have to make such a big deal with offerings and sacrifices and ultimately Jesus' sacrifice. Couldn't you just welcome us in? Couldn't you just overlook this? Is it really a big deal? But I think we all know that in any relationship where one party does wrong against the other, the relationship suffers. And it must be made right again. Sort of put this on a different level. If I was to go home today and say to my lovely wife, Ashley, Ashley, today's Father's Day. We're taking it easy. Rest of the day, it's all yours. Kids, lunch, dinner, cleanup, bath, bed. Don't bother me. I'm going to lay on the couch and watch some baseball. After all, my team is playing in the College World Series today. If I said something like that, if I, if I did that, I don't think my wife would leave me. But we'd have some problems. <laughs> Doesn't take a marriage counselor to say, that's probably not a good idea. I'd have some restoring the relationship to do. I would have acted or spoken wrong against my, my wife, someone dear to me, and they're be some ground to recover. Well, in, in a similar way, in our relationship with, with God, we have wronged Him. And not just once. Time and time and time again. He is perfect. He has never wronged us. And we wrong Him time and time again. And even so, in His grace and His mercy and His goodness and His kindness, He has provided a way to overcome our wrong against Him. He has paid the price. He, he has allowed a substitute a sacrifice in our place, an animal to be sacrificed in the place of 
the sinner's life. So here, young Isaac, who knows something of this, says, Dad, where's the animal? Where's the animal? Where's the land that must be sacrificed for our sins so we can approach God in worship? And trusting God, Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb. And friends, God did. He did. Verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, and he took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, verse 14, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. See, God provided the lamb for the sacrifice. And so to commemorate this event, Abraham named that mountain in the region of Moriah, Yahweh Yerah. From which we get the Latinized form that's found its way into our music, Jehovah Jireh. And God would continue to provide lamb after lamb after lamb there in the place of human sinners. For roughly a millennium later, Jerusalem would be built up there. And the temple would be constructed there in the region of Moriah. 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, regulating the sacrificial system whereby the people of faith approached Yahweh Hira in worship. In other words, when Abraham said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided, or when the author of Genesis said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided, the Lord provided Provided the priestly and sacrificial system through the temple. And it was provided, the substitute was provided again and again and again. Year after year after year. Decade after decade after decade. Century after century. There, in that place, the Lord provided a substitute. So that His people could approach Him in, in worship. But even more so, fast forward another millennium. Fast forward another thousand years to the region of Galilee in northern Israel where the prophet John the Baptist prepared his hearers to receive uh, the, uh, the Messiah. John the Baptist prepares for the arrival of another lamb of sacrifice who, like the ram of Genesis chapter 22, verse 13, would be given in the place of sinners as a provision for worship. Near the beginning of John's Gospel, John chapter 1, verse 29, we read these words. The next day, John, this being John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said to his audience, he said to the crowd, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, friends, the Ram of Genesis 22, 13, and the Passover lambs of Exodus chapter 12, and every single animal whose blood was shed on the altar in the temple courts in Jerusalem, year after year after year, all provisions from God for the sins of His people, every one of them, Pictured, portrayed, and prepared for the arrival of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The one whose sacrifice would never, ever need repeating because unlike the blood of bulls and goats, the blood of the sinless Son of God is sufficient. It is enough. It is sufficient to cleanse sinners once and for all and to make us perfect forever in the eyes of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. So brothers and sisters, the story of the Bible as a whole and the story of the Gospel mirrors the story of Genesis chapter 22. For like Father Abraham, God the Father takes His Son. 
his only son, whom he loves. And he sends him to the region of Moriah, carrying a cross of wood prepared for the offering, led by Roman soldiers who unknowingly acted as servants in the hands of the Most High God with spears and swords climbing the hill of Calvary. Friends, they took nails and they prepared to drive them through the body of Christ on the cross. And as they did, the voice that said, Don't touch Isaac, silently said, This is my plan. This is how God showed His love among us. This is what John writes, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God. That He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Friends, the sacrifice that provides instantaneous and permanent forgiveness has come. He has come. The the Lamb has come beckoning believers, beckoning people of faith in the Lord who provides to enjoy His provision for worship now and forevermore. For the God who calls for faith is the Lord who provides the Lamb. The God who calls for faith, the God who called for faith from Abraham. And soon, the one who called for faith from Isaac and from Jacob and from Joseph and from Moses and from David. Countless people who were called to serve Him and represent Him and to follow Him. The God who calls for faith is the Lord who provides the Lamb. Would you worship the God who provides today? The God of Abraham and the God of Moses and the God of John is the God of the church. He's the God of this church. He is the Lord who provides, receive, and enjoy God's provision. Friends, receive and enjoy God's provision. The sinless Son of God, the perfect, spotless, blameless Lamb of God has been given for you. He's been given for me, He's been given for us as our substitute so that you shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave. He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He provided for you and for me. God has provided the gift. Our Lord has provided the sacrifice to be received by faith. The God who calls for faith is the Lord who provides the Lamb. Through Jesus, God has provided at Calvary. Receive and enjoy God's provision for you. God will continue to provide for you. God will provide for those who believe forever and ever in that heavenly place that Jesus is preparing for us. And through Jesus, God provides for us here and now. Not just then. Not just back then and not just then in the future. But He is the same God who provides for us here and now today in this life as we strive to live for Him brothers and sisters in Christ. My God will meet all your needs. Paul writes. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. And friends, and so He has. And so He is. And so He will continue to do. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we do thank You.
for your provision. For there's no God like you. You are the Lord. You are the God who is. Lord, you are the God who reigns. You are the exalted one. You are the author of our life. You are the one who who holds all things in your hands. Lord, you are the one who is incomparable and the one who is dependent on no one. And yet, even so, even though you are sovereign, almighty, high, lofted, high and lofty, Lord, you, you call us, you invite us to know and enjoy you through Jesus. Lord, you have provided for us. You have provided a way to, to be right with you. You have provided a way for us to be innocent in your eyes, righteous in your eyes. You have provided a way for us to live forever and ever, to enjoy you, to know you, to worship you, to do what we were made to do. Lord, help us to do so. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us faith to believe. May we follow you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.